Greetings in Jesus' name. We turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 13. We know this uh, chapter as the love chapter. And um, the last verse, verse 13, And now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three, but the greatest of these is charity. And the last phrase is the title of the message, but the greatest of these is charity. Or we could have that interchangeable, but the greatest of these is love. Let's read 1 Corinthians 13. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up. Doth not behave itself unseemly. Seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked. Thinketh no evil. Rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. Beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. When I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see through a glass, darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know even as also I am known. And now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three, but the greatest of these is charity. The world is in a craze, you could say. There are wars, um, fightings, and there are more wars to try to fix those wars. Banks are failing. The economy is hanging in a balance, you could say. Marriages fail and homes are torn apart. Everyone is searching for meaning in life and try to find it in some way. Many different ways. Drugs, entertainment, drama, pretty much any earthly thing. I think most anyone you would talk to would admit it. Um, some maybe not because of being hurt, but, maybe, but even those in their honest moment would say they long to be loved. <clears throat> we all have that desire to be loved. Some people believe love will fix everything, only to find out that most love doesn't fix everything. Everyone is in search for love, but for the wrong kind of love. I believe this morning there's no question that what the world needs more than anything else is love. Love is actually the answer to all the world's problems. If people loved each other and really loved each other with the kind of love that is talked about in this chapter, there will be no more wars, no more violence, no more cheating, no more stealing, no more failed marriages and broken homes. Everyone would be looking out for the good of each other. I'd like to look at verse 13 again there. Um, and now abideth faith, hope, charity. But the greatest of these is charity. Throughout here, I'm going to be using 
love and charity interchangeably means the same thing. Um, more commonly, we think of, we use the word love. But what makes love so superior to faith and hope? Aren't faith and hope extremely important as well? Let's compare these three a bit and um, see why love has the preeminence. One of the first things, faith is believing in God, that he is. It may bring about adoration and worship, but love goes even further than that. It not only seeks to adore and worship, but centers on a close relationship with God. Take, for example, you might believe believe in someone and believe every word they say, but that doesn't mean you love them, does it? Love is deeper than faith. What is hope? Hebrews says, faith is the substance of things hoped for. Faith allows us to hope. It's the basis. Hope is that longing and assurance of God's promises to us for the future. The future here and the future in eternity. But why is love superior to hope? A person can have hope in someone without loving him. But a person who loves someone always hopes in him. This love, agape love, and we'll get that definition a little bit later, but true love is not something we are born with. It's not part of our nature. It originates in the nature of God. God is love. We've been taught that probably from little on up. And in fact, the very existence of mankind is due to the fact that God is love. God doesn't have faith in man, and he's not holding out hope on us. He loves us. That's why we are still here and how we ever got here in the first place. Love is superior, once again. So we see that true love is a gift from God, since he is the source of love. And that is our experience as we come to know the true love of God. Faith comes from the heart of man, but true love doesn't originate from the heart. Love from the heart comes from God. Romans 5, verse 5, Because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. Faith and hope are powerful. Jesus said that faith can remove mountains. We all experienced the power of faith, I'm sure, and felt that confidence when you knew you could count on God. Even that feeling of knowing you could count on someone or something. We all probably experienced and felt the push and the urge to do something real, real well, real good when we knew someone believed in us. What about when we felt someone's love or when we feel love for someone else? Love is quite the motivator. Love reaches and changes people far more than any other quality or gift. I say that I believe in God. You say that you believe in God. In fact, many people in the world say they believe in God. We can believe in God and still be proud and super spiritual. We can hope to be in eternity with God and other believers and hope for a sub-meaningful life here on earth. But faith and hope don't do us any good if we don't have love. The love of God within us. And how do we get the love of God within us? It's by repenting and giving our lives over to his love. All right, so the greatest of these is love. And we always knew that in our mind. still know that is an essential quality of the believer. But it's the greatest essential quality of the believer. So let's, let's look at these verses here, starting at the beginning of the chapter, and learn what 
real love is all about. Paul had just been talking about spiritual gifts and the importance of working together. And he says at the end of chapter 12, but I show unto you a more excellent way. I really believe that this is one of our biggest shortcomings as believers, lack of love. And that's really troubling for me to admit that because then what does that say about God's love in my heart? We all need to be working together and using our gifts to the glory of God, but we can work together mechanically and as a group, more or less, and leave all the right impressions, get along actually pretty good, and still miss the point if we don't have love in our hearts. And what we're talking about here, the Bible is talking about here, is the agape love. Agape love, it is the love of the mind, of the reason, of the will. It is a love that will go so far that it will love even the person that doesn't deserve to be loved. The person that is utterly unworthy to be loved. That's God's love for us. That's what Christ demonstrated when he died on the cross. We are those unworthy souls that deserve to die. Romans 5, verses 6 and 8, For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. But God commended his love towards us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Mark chapter 12, 29 through 31, And Jesus answered him, The first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment, and the second is like, namely this, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. There are many, many verses in the Bible about God and his love. God is love, and God wants us to share that powerful love among ourselves and to the world. Verses 1 through 3 are speaking of gifts and the fruitlessness of them if we don't have love. If a person has the gift of language or even the gift of speaking in tongues, um, maybe he cares more about who he sees, who sees him talking to the people in the streets or how many people he talks to about Jesus or in how many different countries he's been in to share the word. Without love, it was pointless. Like lots of noise, but no rhythm or music. I become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. Far better it would be to love and care and reach the hearts of only a few. And those few can reach a few. Those few can reach a few. And God's love can reach all of mankind. Verse 2. Bible knowledge and prophecy and strong faith are all good. Don't we all wish for that in a mighty way? We can study God's word every day, maybe memorize chapter after chapter, chapter, debate for hours on Bible subjects, maybe even start counting on our knowledge of God's word and our faith to save us and our knowledge of God's word to convict a sinner. We need to know God's word. We desire to better understand the deep mysteries of God. And we need to always be ready to give an answer. But without love, there is nothing. What about all faith without charity? There are times when our faith is strong and there are times when our faith is weak. What we need to remember when our faith is strong is to be understanding to those whose faith is weak. 
We've been there too. And if we aren't, we will be at some point. Faith with love. Faith that brings others along with us. Verse 3. Giving with love. And though I bestow all my goods, bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Here are some of the dangers of giving without love. Maybe we're giving because we feel obligated. That's what's expected of us, and someone has to do it. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7. Every man, according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. Giving out of obligation also is expecting something in return. We give because it will benefit us or prevent harm or disaster to us in some way. I think it's fair and right to use giving as a tax write-off, but I believe also that it can be very easily caused be the cause of giving out of obligation. Giving with contempt. No choice in the matter. Ever have that done to you? Um, no intention of giving or helping someone. Maybe someone isn't even in need, but suddenly you are the victim and someone took advantage of you. Not a good feeling. But really, so what? Um, it's one thing to use that hospitality phrase of my house is your house and another thing to actually mean it and be okay with being taken advantage of. I guess if you've been in the Spanish culture at all, you more than likely heard that phrase. Mi casa es su casa. My house is your house. Maybe we give with an air of superiority because I'm not the one with the need. Everyone is on the same level. Um, we are God's people. He loves us. We all require the same love from God as, every, as anyone else. Maybe we're giving with a rebuke. Get your life together. Plan ahead a little. Advice has its place sometimes, but are we rebuking or are we loving? Giving unsacrificially. We think this is a hard one to measure, but who of us has given all that we have, even if it's just two mites like that widow lady? We feel like we are strapped tight sometimes, or if you're like me, probably most of the time. But how did we get into that tight situation to begin with? Was it loving and helping others, or was it for our own selfish needs? You know, we can give and give and give some more, but without love it profits us nothing. That's what it says here. But it's not about us anyway. It's about God. Let's put love in our giving and bring glory to God. This verse also speaks of even dying, of giving our life. And though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. It doesn't matter what kind of sacrifice we give. Unless we have love, it is all in vain. People will give their lives fighting for something that will benefit them. The greater love will give up life to benefit others and to show the true meaning of God's love. Verse 4, love suffers long. Do we get to choose who we are patient with or how long we are patient with him? Love suffers a long, long time. It might even really, really hurt. But no matter who has hurt us or what the circumstances, 
love will suffer a long, long time without resentment, anger, or revenge. Love is powerful, and God's love will always triumph. And when we put God's love to practice within the brotherhood, within our marriages and families, and to all we meet in life, some of those seemingly stubborn, loveless people can find and experience God's love in their lives. In fact, everyone can. God's love is universal. Galatians 5, verse 22, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, and so on. Notice that's listed as first in the list, love. Strengthened with all might, according to his glorious power, unto all patience and long-suffering with joyfulness. Colossians 1, verse 11. And then 2 Timothy 4, verse 2. Preach the word, be in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. Love doesn't count the hurts or say, this is the last straw and I'm done. I'm done loving. I'll give you one more chance. That's it. Love is persistent and consistent and never gives up on someone. Love is kind. This means courteous, good, helpful, useful, giving and showing favors. Love returns good for evil. And right with that, love does not resent evil. Romans 12, verse 10, Be kindly affection one to another with brotherly love and honor, preferring one another. Ephesians 4, verse 32, and Be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Love does not envy. Do you ever wish for certain friends and popularity? Maybe we covet recognition, possessions, better paying jobs, and to make it in life. Maybe we even covet a spiritual gift and wish we could be recognized as a spiritual and outstanding person. Love will seek to promote others and their gifts, and love will put to use the gifts that God has given us, rather than pine away in jealousy. Love will not be envious of the wicked. Galatians 5, verse 26, Let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another, envying one another. Psalm 37, verse 1, Fret not thyself because of evildoers, neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity. Proverbs 3, verse 31, Envy thou not the oppressor, and choose none of his ways. Proverbs 14, verse 30, A sound heart is the life of the flesh, but envy the rottenness of the bones. Proverbs 23, verse 17, Let not thine heart envy sinners, but be thou in the fear of the Lord all the day long. Love does not vaunt itself. Instead, it seeks to recognize, honor, and applaud the gifts in others. Three more verses here in relation to that. For I say, through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. Romans 12, verse 3. And in Romans 12, verse 10, Be kindly affection one to another with brotherly love, in honor preferring one another. And Philemon 2, verse 3. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. <coughs> And very similar, it says, love is not puffed up. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 18, verse 4. Luke 14, verse 10. But when thou art bidden, go and sit down in the lowest room, that when he that bade thee cometh, he may say unto thee, friend, go up higher. Then shalt thou have worship in the presence of them that sit at meat with thee. Luke 22, verse 26. 
but ye shall not be so. But he that is greatest among you, let him be as the younger, and he that is chief, as he that does serve. First Peter 5, verse 5. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the, utter, unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another, and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud, and giveth grace to the humble. Love does not behave itself unseemly. Do we think through things before we respond? Our responses are not rash. We do nothing that would bring shame to God's name. We treat everyone with respect and dignity. Philemon 1 verse 10, That ye may approve things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. 2 Timothy 3 verse 7, For yourselves know how ye ought to follow us, for we behave not ourselves disorderly among you. Love seeks not her own. Some of these touch on very similar aspects, but how often do we insert our own rights option? We earn this or we deserve this. Love seeks to serve and put others' needs first. That is so much, that is so much easier said than done. Um, practical outworking, we always have bills to pay and mouths to feed and tasks of our own to do, but God's love helps us sort through our personal needs and the needs of others. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 24, Let no man seek his own, but every man another's wealth. And Philemon 2, verse 4, Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Love is not easily provoked. How easily are we perturbed or angered when things don't go our way? Try a couple minutes in heavy traffic or... Um, one sudden near collision. I'm sure here in Creston you've had those experiences. Somebody pulls out in front of you and got to slam on your brakes. And it might not all relate specifically to anger. Love controls the emotions and uses good judgment and reason. Love is predictable. But now you also put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Colossians 3 verse 8. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. James 1 verse 19. Love thinketh no evil. Love suffers the evil done to it and forgets, moves on and forgives. It goes even further than forgiveness and returns evil <coughs> for good. Matthew 5 verse 39. But I say unto you that ye resist not evil, but whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn to him the other also. Romans 12, verse 17, Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 15, See that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. 1 Peter 3, verse 9, Not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrarywise blessing, knowing that ye are thereunto called that ye should inherit a blessing. Love does not rejoice in iniquity. See that in verse 6. Love hates evil, but doesn't hate the evildoer. Love doesn't do evil, but neither does it enable others to sin. It does not feed upon sin and wrong. How often do we um, pass along stories of sin and wrong and get a sense of smugness or whatever? It might include natural disasters and other unfortunate things that happen to people. Love does not feed on and enjoy those types of things. Love rejoices in the truth and seeks to make a difference in the world. The interest we take in people when they are in trouble and the interest we take in the news when the world is falling apart 
How can we change that around and be the first to rejoice in the truth, share about the victories won, and the amazing works of God that don't do anything to lift us up? It can be a trap in itself, can't it? All the glory goes to God, nothing about us. Love rejoicing in truth never hides a truth and seeks to to promote God and others that are rooted and grounded in the truth. Love rejoicing in truth is strong and wins battles. You never need to guess or question where it stands. Zechariah 8, verse 16. These are the things that ye shall do. Speak ye every man truth to his neighbor. Execute judgment of truth and peace in your gates. Malachi 2, verse 6. The law of truth was in his mouth, and iniquity was not found in his lips. He walked with me in peace and equity, and to turn many away from iniquity. Love rejoicing in truth causes many to be more truthful and honest, even those that aren't necessarily um, followers of the truth. Truth and love rubs off on others, just like all the other aspects of love. Love bears all things. We see that in um, the next verse, verse 7. Any mistreatment, abuse, hard and unfair things others may cause us, we bear it. We bear it up. Love covers the faults of others. We have no pleasure in exposing the wrong and weaknesses of others. Ephesians 4, verses 2 and 3, with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Ephesians 6, verse 9, And ye masters, do the same things unto them, forbearing, threatening, knowing that your master also is in heaven. Neither is there respect to persons with him. Colossians 3, verse 13. But bearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. Love believes all things. Love is always eager to believe the best in people. Maybe we hear a bad rumor about someone. What is our first response? Love sees and understands the circumstances and accepts and forgives. Love believes the very best about a person, and in so doing brings about the best in people. Luke 17, verse 4, And if he trespass against thee seven times in a day, and seven times in a day turn again to thee, saying, I repent, thou shalt forgive him. Ephesians 4, verse 32, And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. In Colossians 3, verse 13, Forbearing one another, and forgiving one another, if any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. Love hopes. Love just really sees the best in everything, and so that hope is strong. Everything is going to be fine in the end because God's love triumphs. No matter what failures and difficulties may come, there's still the hope to get up again and the hope of victory. (coughs) Love endures all things. This endure is a military word, meaning to stand against the attack of an enemy. Love is strong and full of fight or love. Think about that a little. Um, Sounds strange, I guess, to say, doesn't it? Because we too often think of love as passive. But really, love involves some real fighting, some real silent, enduring fighting of the soul. It may take years and even a lifetime of loving, but love will defeat the enemy. God's love is powerful. Verse 8, love never fails. Prophecy will, tongues will cease, 
and knowledge will vanish away. You know, we long for those spiritual gifts, but they are only temporary tools. God gives each of us gifts for a reason, and he gives diversity of gifts. But is it possible that we are as guilty as the unbelievers in focusing on the earthly things instead of the enduring heavenly things? Maybe we are glorying in our earthly gifts and tools that God gives us instead of ministering in love to our brethren and to the world around us. Love is perfect and complete. When that which is perfect has come, which is speaking of the end of time, and when God and his love comes to gather his people together to heaven, love will have its preeminence. Only that which is perfect will continue. Love is perfect. God is love, and it will endure into eternity. Verses 11 and 12 speaks of our imperfection as man. <clears throat> when I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know even as also I am known. We're striving to be mature and and understand God, to be more like God. Love mature is when we are face-to-face with God. We treasure that experience we can have with Him already, um, but it's immature and only a mirror or a glimpse of the perfect love that we will experience in eternity. What does it say? That which is in part. It's not complete yet. And experienced as a child and only a mirrored representation. I long more than ever for that day when love is perfected between God and man. The very love that God has given to us and entrusts to us to share to the world and among his believers is the very love that will bring this day about. We will be able to see God's love perfected, see it in his face, because we will be face to face with him and fully grasp the immensity and the beauty of it all. In a good, solid, wholesome relationship today, all it takes is to look into each other's face and we understand each other. I believe that when we look into God's face, we will have that moment of enlightenment and completeness in his love. So let's have faith. Let's have hope. But most importantly, let's have love. And now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three, but the greatest of these is charity. It's new for prayer. <clears throat> Father in heaven, we thank you that we could get together this morning to worship you. Pray that you would somehow instill, instill in our hearts your love and to be there for each other and to the world around us. We pray that you would bless each one as we go our ways this week. Help us to be true to you. Help us to touch souls. And we pray that you would be with those who aren't feeling well this morning. Pray that you would heal them, not against your will. And we pray also for Christians across the world who are suffering. And not only Christians, Lord, but all of mankind. Help them to see you and to turn to you before it's too late. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.